496. Stand with saying victory in Jesus 496.
blessing, Brother Mike, would you lead us in prayer, please? Lord, we ask your blessing upon the service this morning. We pray that you'll bless the preaching and teaching of your word in both services. We thank you for allowing us to gather here. Ask that you prepare our hearts to receive what you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. May be seated. Number 410. 410. 410. Banner of the Cross. He was with us 20 years ago, and he reminded me that he was here then, 
And I looked at his face coming up, and I looked at him, and I thought, yeah, I've seen that face before, but I forget the name 20 years ago. And so Brother Edward and his wife are here visiting. And so I want you to come, Brother, just give us a few words about your church in Iowa. Uh, it's in the cornfields, I think, right? Yeah, right in the middle of it. Okay. And uh, we, we, we don't have a suite of corn as you do in Hawaii. We have sweeter. <laughs> Thank you, Brother. I appreciate it. Well, it's good to be back here. Um, we've been doing missionary work, and in truth, we are working as missionaries now in Iowa. So pray for us. We've done missionary work now for over 30 years, and uh, God called uh, me to, to uh, preach in about, oh, about 1992. We were in a mission work in Germany, uh, U.S. Army. Uncle Sam ain't released me yet. Any guys here in the Army? Nice haircut. <laughs> Yours? Really nice haircut. And uh, anyway, U.S. Army stands for Uncle Sam ain't released me yet. Don't forget that. And uh, we were over in Nuremberg, Germany, and I was raised in the Church of Christ where they taught that water had something to do with salvation. And it does, and it just gets you wet. Amen. You're baptized because you're a believer in Christ, not because it's part of believing in Christ. Amen. And so anyway, uh, I knew there was something missing, and God sent me through uh, three months of vacation, previously known as Fort Benning, Georgia, infantry school. And during that time, I had a guy in the bottom bunk bed from Frostproof, Florida, that read his Bible and prayed every day. He was a Baptist, and I'd never seen that before. And so God started working on my heart. And uh, thanks be to God, 40 years ago last July, my wife and I were married. Our children bought the tickets. Brother, start training them now. <laughs> because you have nine, we have eight, only three bought the tickets. <laughs> work, on, work on the smart ones. Okay? <laughs> so anyway, uh, we came back, we went to England for eight years and was here 20 years ago. At that time, we're, we were ministering in England. And then God called us to Prince Edward Island, Canada, and of Green Gables country, for all of you Green Gable people. And uh, we worked there for 11 years, and my intent was to go home for about a year. I went through plumbing school while in Canada. I recommend anyone considering going to the mission field to take a trade first. Paul made tents. Take a trade, and then you don't have to rely on churches that don't always keep their promises and you can continue to work in that trade so I came home for a year one year went to two years because I had to have two years to be licensed as a plumber was going to go back there and I blew my left knee blue the patellar tendon and when your patellar tendon blows it's not like a knee replacement they reattach it drill three holes and reattach the tendon and for three months, your legs completely straight. And in the second month, I'm laying in my bed in Iowa. And God said, stay here. And I did not argue with him. You have to know when not to argue, which is all the time. So anyway, we're in Corning. We started there uh, after the COVID. We tried to start a work near Des Moines. And the COVID came and they took the keys from the building. And try that one on. And um, six months later, or less, I guess it was March, July, I had a phone call. Their pastor had resigned. 
he had the English Standard Version in the church. And uh, the first thing I had to do, which I'm sure your pastor had to do in part, was for eight weeks, I preached against fear. We tell people that when we die, we're going to go to heaven, and then we're afraid to die. What is that? Huh? I got this shot, and this shot, and this booster, and this booster, and this booster. And you know what I know about all the people that got the shot and the booster? They got COVID. My wife didn't get the shot. I didn't get the shot. She got the COVID. I got the COVID. We're not in heaven yet, but we're trying to get there. Anybody got an idea? Let me know. No, not suicide. So we get to the church, and they weren't King James only. And after they called me to pastor, just before I actually, I started teaching on the King James Bible. We got that straight, amen? Hold on, we're missing something. We got that straight, amen? amen? Hallelujah. The next thing we got straight was showing the people the difference between a Bible-believing church, preachers, missionaries that come in, and ones that correct the book. And so they saw the difference, and last Sunday we voted ourselves out of the GARB, General Association of Regular Baptists. If you don't know what that is, that's the age of garb. You know what the age of garbage? Garb is? It's garbage. Oh, what can I say? Uh, amen. God's word is good. Uh, let's see. Kathy became an American citizen on Tuesday. Okay, so congratulations and God bless her for that. And then, uh, before you go, uh, on, let's see, there's a birthday tomorrow. Emily's birthday is tomorrow. Emily, raise your hand, Emily. Birthday tomorrow. Uh, Mispa, where are you, Mispa? Raise your hand. Saturday's her birthday. And on Thursday, on Thursday is Nathan and Kristen's anniversary. Number 16. Where is, is Kristen here? Okay, can, can you stand, can you stand? And girls, you got something for them? Number 16 on Thursday. I remember when uh, Nathan took us to the place where the, he proposed to her in Beijing. A little bench somewhere in a park. And it was just before it got really dark. And it was a very nice place for him to propose to her. So that was a, a real uh, life-changing time. Then I remember walking on the streets of Beijing, all four of us. Uh, back and then he asked if we would probably do the ceremony in Florida. I said, yeah. And then he asked, um, well, when should we get married? I said, as soon as you can. <laughs> and so January of whatever year it was, they got married in Florida. That's great. And then uh, nine kids later, they're still here serving the Lord. All right, so that's a blessing. Okay, let's all stand, please. And then um, we will take home and shake hands to somebody. Mary's sister's here. Mary's mom is here. Still here, still kicking, still vigorous and strong and healthy in spite of all the problems you've had. And so we're glad to see all of you in church. So uh, play something happy, honey, and let's shake hands. And Chinese church will dismiss it this time, I think.
And that's the truth. Amen. And that is the truth. I hope you find your strength in something more than just education. Get away from it all. Get on the country. Don't you like the country? I don't mean cornfield, but I mean country. Farmland, mountains, rivers, lakes, deer, you know, things like that. That's relaxing. Away from Waikiki. Waikiki is nice if you just pass through, but it's, it's a lot of, you know, it's just different. Genesis chapter 39. I'm going to bring to you a subject matter that is kind of unpleasant. I've been threatening about this since, since January, and I'm going to fulfill that threat right now. And uh, because it's church, I have to be very thoughtful and considerate about how I how I talk, and the words that I use, because uh, you can face that way. Uh, I I don't believe that it's proper to use certain kind of languages in church uh, any more than uh, it is to use certain languages in dinner table or in a car. And so I think that we should be cautious about the subject matter. But it is a problem. It's a problem that people have faced, men have faced, and some women have faced for many, many years. It's not a new problem. Uh, most men here today have dabbled in this subject matter, and we're not proud of it. We're ashamed of it, actually. Many of us have gotten over it, but some people are still hooked by this thing. And it's a real touchy, sensitive subject, but it is something that we need to find the way out of it, to escape it, to beat it even, to overcome it. And so all those, all those words tells me that for a Christian it's very possible to not be a slave, a captive to this particular thing. The devil is a liar, remember, and he tells us that you can never be free from this addiction, and it is an addiction. And it begins very young in people's lives. Some 12, 13-year-old boys overnight with their friend, and then they find some magazine that is from the father's stash, and the boy has found it already, so this overnight sleepover thing, the boy will tell his friend, hey, look what I found in my dad's closet. And then uh, they're both, in the name of having fun, being over at a friend's house, safe, uh, they begin to look at some images through a magazine. The magazine has captivated the boy's imagination and caused feelings to rise up in them prematurely. And so these things have gone on for a long time. And I would say that 70% of men, adult men, uh, growing up have been exposed to this kind of stuff. Hopefully, we who are Christian parents have tried to raise our kids better than how we were growing up. And we have tried to shield our kids from stuff that they should never see in their youth. It's a real problem, ladies and gentlemen. It's a real serious problem. And today, people in politics and government uh, on all kinds of levels, upper class, middle class, lower class, it doesn't matter. It has reached out with its, with its tentacles all over this world, in every part of society. It has ruined a lot of people, ruined a lot of marriages, caused great, great, great harm to people emotionally and morally. You know what I'm talking about? It's that P word. It's that P word. You parents need to explain to your kids at home uh, properly about what I'm trying to explain. Because you be the one to teach them about how things should be viewed. And I don't use that as a pun. Pornography. Pornography is a big problem. But I have found that there is a solution to that. Like I have found with other kinds of sins. 
Uh, pornography is not the only sin that corrupts and destroys people's lives and families. There's other sins as well. But pornography is one of those major ones that has gotten into people's lives, secretly, of course, and uh, it has been hidden for many, many years in people's lives, and it is something to be dealt with. Now, don't go looking at people and say, I wonder if he, I wonder if he, don't do that. Don't do that. That is wrong to do that. The fact is, most people in America have been exposed to something, and it has, for, for a lot of people, a lot of men, it has caused them to have this secret sin in their lives for many, many years. And hopefully they have faced up to it, dealt with it in a biblical way. But nonetheless, it is a problem. And I have found from the Bible, of all things, I have found from the Bible a solution. Of all things, duh, I have found from the Bible, in the Bible, a way out, a way to overcome. I have found from the Bible, because the Bible, according to 1 Peter, God has given us all things that pertain unto life through the scriptures, okay? Now, if you believe that, if you really believe that the Bible is the source book, our, our book to help us through life's real problems and real issues, then you need to go back to the Bible and see what the Bible says about these things because that's where your source of strength is to overcome these things. You never want to stay in this kind of a addiction. Drug addiction is bad. Addicted to smoking, alcohol, any other kind of addiction is bad. This one really will suck the life out of you and ruin your marriage and ruin yourself emotionally in every other way. It'll, it'll make you It'll make you feel so horrible within yourself. You think that you're just a great big hypocrite. And you would be if you continue in it. Uh, I have found out that no one is immune from this. Youth pastors. I have some statistics from a place called Covenant Eyes. It's a very good source. And they, they are into, for years, protecting people from becoming corrupted with their eyes. Here are some things to think about. The first exposure to pornography among men is 12 years old on average. 12. 12 years old. 55% of adults 25 and older believe porn is wrong. That's a good thing, but just 55% only. It's very accessible. It's very aggressive. One in, listen to this one. This one is scary. One in five youth pastors, one in seven senior pastors use porn on a regular basis. This is from service anonymous surveys. Use porn on a regular basis and currently are struggling. 43% of senior pastors and youth pastors say they have struggled with pornography in the past. 64% of Christian men, 15% of Christian women, Christian, Christian say they watch porn at least once a month. 68% of divorce cases involve one party meeting a new lover over the internet. 56% involved one party having, quote, an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. That's pretty, pretty sad, They're pretty, pretty tragic. 7% of wives of addictions, of addicts, be diagnosed with PTSD and so on. Uh, here's something else that is shocking. 90% of teens, 96% of young adults are either encouraging, accepting, or neutral when they talk about porn with their friends. It's no big deal to them. How did we get to this place? It's not a big deal. I remember when people used to blush 
when they saw something offensive on TV, a commercial even. I, I cannot watch Super Bowl high, um, uh, halftime shows. It is not a halftime show anymore. Uh, for decades now, I've not even watched that stuff because I just go to you know watch the highlights and I have it on mute because I don't care to know about how somebody feels when they lost because they feel bad. I don't know how they. I don't need to know how they feel when they won because I know they're happy. But I don't need to see the halftime nakedness, the halftime uh, perversion, and the halftime uh, in-your-face um, stuff that kids should not see. So they use sports as a vehicle to introduce young people to to something like that that leads them to more. Uh, discovering more things. You see how this thing all works? It's very insidious. It's very evil. It's very devilish. And so you gotta be real careful, but 90% of teens, 96% of young adults are either encouraging, accepting, or are neutral when they talk about porn and their friend with their friends. They have no they have no opinion. How can you not have an opinion? How can you be neutral about this? How can you say this is harmless? It's just like selling peanut butter on TV. How can you be so neutral about that? This is not Kellogg's Corn Flakes. This is not just another product choice. This is something very devilish and very much will get into your system and it'll linger there for a long, long time, for decades in someone's life. Eventually, it'll cause a lot of harm and damage and ruin relationships, especially with your own wife and spouse and your family. It's bad. It's evil. Well, something else there. It's more prevalent urban than rural. There's uh, an increase in higher than average household income. People like that uh, tap into porn. People that have a higher income average. Well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because they got the money to pay for and to enter into. Density of younger people, 15 to 24. Higher proportion of people with undergraduate degrees participating in pornography. They have a higher income level, social status. They are, in for most parts, people that donate blood, it says, engage in volunteer activities, participate in community activities. And so these are the types of people the surveys tell us that are messing around with pornography. It's all over the place. Genesis chapter 39, come over there with me. That's enough I'm gonna talk about as far as that issue. There's no need to go and get graphic about it at all. Uh, some people try to, when they address men, it's not starting to address men. You can talk differently to address men or prisoners. But it's a different thing when you address a church group because of the, the age levels and the different kinds of people there. You don't want to, in the name of helping people be warned, uh, get them to be excited about something they should not be excited about, okay? So I have to be very tactful about this and be careful not to bring something unholy into a holy place like church and, and get people's minds going in the wrong direction. You want to know at the very beginning that this stuff is evil, it is wicked, it is sinful, okay? Get that right. You don't have to know everything about it in the detail to know that it is wrong. I know that in a dumpster is a lot of garbage. I don't have to go and smell it to know for sure firsthand. I know that it's garbage. I don't have to go to the landfill and open up bags, tear it up and say, ah, oh, this is foul. I already know that it's foul. I want to keep my mind away from thinking of the details of things, all right? Don't let stuff get into your brain and stay there and fester there and stay in your hard drive and you think about it in your private in your private moments. You don't want to think like that. You want to think about things that are lovely and pure and right, Philippians 4.8. You want to meditate upon things that are holy and godly and righteous and wholesome. That's what you want to get your mind on, not the details of something. So I'm, I'm very cautious about 
these expose things that you see online and they talk about things in very graphic ways. You don't need that. I don't need that. We need to know what the Bible says about that. And generically, it is wickedness, it is sinfulness. And in this chapter, we will see some connection to pornography and how to overcome it. Are you interested to know how to overcome, maybe not for your sake, but for other people's sake that you think if they're brought up to you? It doesn't matter. Let's see what God says about this. Did we pray yet? We better pray. I think we got to pray. Father, we pray for your help this morning. The subject matter is very detestable and uncomfortable for me. And I know that the reality of life in this wicked world, most men growing up have been introduced to something they should not have seen. And most men, and these men that I know, that I know or men that I don't even know, they're good people in a way that they don't want to participate in this, but they've been exposed to it. It's in their brain, it's in their hard drive. It's hard to get rid of it. It's hard to not think about it. But Lord, we need your help because we don't want to dwell upon things that are unholy. We want to replace those thoughts and the thinking, our imaginations with godly thoughts. And it's very doable. And there's a way that we have seen in the Bible how we can overcome and not be a slave and a captive and a victim of this awful, wicked sin. So Lord, help us this morning. I pray that you help me to be clear and not to say things I shouldn't, but to say only the things that I should. It's my intent to help. It's my intent to tell what the Bible says. It's my intent to be clean and pure in my words. I do not want to get close to something inappropriate. And so I pray that you help me today. Help the people. Help the people to see that the Bible is true. The Bible has the answer. You are our source of strength and help. We need you. And we need to come to that secret place in which we have a daily communion with you and a living, righteous, vibrant, growing relationship with you to overcome the things that would pull us down. I pray that you help us in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 39, a famous chapter, a well-known chapter about a young man named Joseph. He's not so young now because when he's 30, he was 17. When he becomes 30, he becomes very important in Egypt. Now, there are some things I'd like to bring to your attention as we come to the real issue at hand. Genesis chapter 39. You remember that his brothers were envious of him, they hated him, but he was well-beloved of his father. And that's a reminder that the Bible is prophecy as well. In Joseph, you have a type or a picture of Jesus Christ to come in the New Testament. As Jesus was well-beloved of his father, Joseph was well favored by his father. Got a quote of many called, remember that story? As Jesus was envied and despised and hated by his own people, he came unto his own, his own received him not. His brothers envied him and got rid of him as best as they could. Sold him into the Ishmaelites. They wanted to kill him. And one of the older brothers says, no, don't do that. Throw him in a hole. They ate lunch while he's in the hole, crying for release him for help. Come on guys, yeah, I joke, I joke, but this is too much, this is too serious. And the train of Ishmaelites going to Egypt came by, they sold him for 20 pieces of silver, and then um, off he goes to Egypt. Now here's something very interesting to know. In Genesis chapter 39, and come down to verse number uh, one. Start at verse number one. Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had bought, uh, brought him down thither. Now, of all the people, think about 
the providence of God. Of all the people that Joseph, now a slave, could have been sold to in all of Egypt, of all the officials, of all the big shots that he could have been sold to, that could have bought him, it was Potiphar. They bought him captain of the guard, chief of police, etc. He bought him. He goes into Potiphar's house and he rises to promise, not because he sought it, but because he was a good guy. And because he's there, it led to the rescue, the salvation of the whole world. You're going to have to just think the things that happened in the lives of, in the life of Joseph was not by accident, by the stars lining up, by the zodiac, by that kind of, no, not at all. It was because the providence of God. God's working on a plan in Joseph's life that was so vast and so deep and so complicated, and yet God on the top sees the whole landscape from his viewpoint, and it says, this is going to happen, this is going to lead to over here, and this over here, because of this, it's going to lead to the salvation, the life-saving world, and save the world because of the, the dreams, of, you know that story. And so, that's what you find so far. This is a great story. Read it sometime without any notes, without any comments. Read the story by itself, read the text by itself, and you will get a blessing from this. All right? Now, uh, through Joseph, the world would be saved from starvation. And now he's a slave. And he goes into, uh, he's bought by Potiphar. And look at verse number two. And the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master, verse three, saw that the Lord was with him. And that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. All right, so now, for a period of 11 years, Joseph is a slave in Potiphar's house. He doesn't begin with a big position, but it begins like a slave, you know, do the dishes and mop the floor, clean the clothes and things. He does small stuff, and he gets promoted because apparently Joseph's character and Joseph's integrity is so good that he did everything right. I'm reading into the text, but I'm telling you, he must, Potiphar saw something about him that got his attention. Of all the slaves in his household, this guy stands out. Well, what was it about him that made him stand out? I don't know, but I know something. He stood out among all the other slaves that he likely had. And he got the Potiphar, uh, got Potiphar's attention. And he would, can you imagine Potiphar talking to other supervisors? Hey, what's this guy really like? Oh man, this guy's strange. This guy, this Hebrew kid, this guy is something else, man. This guy works. This guy does what he's told. He doesn't question, challenge everything. He doesn't do this. I ain't doing that. He doesn't do that. He's very compliant. He's very obedient. He's very, and he's thoughtful. He thinks for himself. He asks good questions. He, he brings up things to help the, this situation better and everything else. Not only that, sir, the fellow slaves, his co-workers, they like this guy. After five years, this guy has proven to be really sharp. I mean, this guy's leadership material. He's not some bumpkin. He's not some guy who just is there. He's got to be there. And he's just going to fulfill. He's not an eye-pleasing man. This guy does his job, and he excels in it. No kidding. Really. Well, keep your eyes on him, okay? I'm, I'm looking for to replace this uh, supervisor in my, my house. This guy, this guy's a thief, man. This guy keeps... I keep finding food gone. Grapes are missing. Cantaloupes are gone. And uh, I find all kinds of stuff. He, the guy's must be pilfering my silver because something's always missing. Can't put my finger on it, but somebody's crooked in my, in my, you know. And so keep you on it. And so the story goes on. And I'm imagining he gets promoted because he gets his attention. Well, Joseph is never out to get attention. Joseph is never out to be the numero uno. He's not there to get a promotion. He's just there doing the right thing, period. And I will tell all of you this. 
if you just do the right thing in whatever you do, it won't, it cannot escape the eyes of others. They will notice it. You just do the right thing. Especially you, Christian. You just do the right thing all the time. It will be noticed. Don't look for, Joseph never looked for, I don't believe. Don't you look for, I'm going to do this so that. No, no, no. You just do the right thing because it's the right thing to do. Do you know that in our neighborhood, our grandkids have such a good reputation. They're not trying to do that for attention or for show, but they just behave like they're taught to behave respectfully to everybody. Look people now and people talk to them, except some of them don't. I get irritated with my grandkids because, because sometimes I want them to say hi to someone who says hi to them. They're not strangers, they're neighbors. And uh, somebody says hi, and I'm with, uh, I'm with um, uh, Ethan. Ethan's what, three or four? And I'm walking with Ethan and, and um, ben, Benjamin's still on a stroller, taking him down to the water and feed the fish or shoot fish with slingshots or something like that. Man stuff, you know? And then uh, some neighbor comes a hi to them and they just do this. Here's what Ethan does. <laughs> Ethan, she said hi to you, say hi. He does this. Like he's afraid to talk. I know you can talk. Now I don't say that, but he, he just does that. Other than that, the kids have a room when they play together and they interact with other neighborhood kids and they do that a lot. There's no fighting, there's no screaming, there's no, uh, uh, you hit me, you took now, you, hey, hey. there's no whining like that. If they get knocked to the ground, they cry, I, we just keep on playing, we ignore them. And they get up and they continue playing. Matthew, Matthew, the little, Matthew is a, he's a, he's a dynamite boy, he's a, he's a, he's a bowling ball. He gets knocked onto the pavement and he'll oh, get up. And he continues playing. Nobody fusses. They have a good reputation and they have good testimony. That goes a long way. Do you know that they've got some paying jobs, yard work, car washing, driveways like that because of their good testimony? Yeah, they did one Saturday in the morning. It took them four hours. But they got that, the older kids got that because they have watched the kids every week. They're not trying to get attention, but they're getting attention. And I want to tell you adults here, that's how it always will be. You are getting somebody's attention. You don't know who it is. They're not going to tell you, but somebody is watching you. I just want to tell you in passing, it does make a difference how you live. It does make a difference when you have a good Christian testimony. So Joseph is in Potiphar's house. He's promoted. And the main thing, verse number three, verse number two, the Lord was with Joseph, verse three, his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper. It was because of Joseph being there that Potiphar's household was blessed. Now here's an unusual, a strange thing to think about. Because of you being where you are as a Christian, where you are is a little bit better than as if you weren't there. Have you ever seen uh, the Christmas program, uh, It's a Wonderful Life? It's a very interesting theme to that. But because what's-his-name was there, a lot of people's lives were improved and bettered. Because you are where you are, because of your being salt and light where you are, in some small way, you think, yes, it is making a difference in people's life. Maybe in your environment, it's a little bit better. Maybe things are a little bit improved because you've been there. And that's what happened to Joseph. 
Remember when the queen of Sheba went down to visit Solomon? And she came down like this. No, she didn't do that. She says to Solomon, Oh, oh, the glory, everything, your house, everything. And then she says something to get my attention. She says, and the people are happy to serve you. What does that mean? They weren't going around protesting. They weren't going around saying, I'm offended. They weren't going around saying, if we don't get up here, we're going to strike. She says, I look around, all these, all your servants, they're happy. Well, what does that mean? That means that there's a little smile on their face. They're happy. She's, she notices the, the countenance of people. They're not grumbling and complaining. Oh, this guy is, uh, no, just the opposite. And I'll say, ladies and gentlemen, that it does make a difference how you carry yourself in your daily life. If you want to ruin it for somebody else's witness, you just act like a inconsistent, stealing, pilfering Christian where you were and grumble all the time, complain all the time, fuss all the time, and just whine all the time, and you are just going to ruin someone else's opportunity to give them the gospel. And you cannot give them the gospel effectively because you're just a crybaby. Sorry. Man. Hmm. Gotta go to work tomorrow. Oh. Surf's up. Gotta work. Mm. Verse 3. His master saw that the Lord... I'm, I'm getting to my point. His master saw that the Lord's with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Verse 4. And Joseph found grace in, the, in his sight. Of course. Everyone respects and likes someone who is respectable and, and decent. You and I respect decent politicians. They are so hard to find. You and I respect, look up to, and, and hold in high esteem people who are uh, in, in government that they are not corrupt. They're so hard to find, but when we find one, we respect them. Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him overseer over his son. Okay, so he gets promoted, didn't look for him, but he got it. And all that he had, he put into his hand. Well, okay, now, in those short years of him serving in Potiphar, in Pot's house, <laughs> in Potiphar's house, he saw a man worthy of promotion, worthy of responsibility, worthy of holding all the keys to his house. That's a big opportunity, a big responsibility. He trusted him enough to give him access to everything. I guess he is convinced this guy would not do anything to undermine him or to poison him or to do harm to him. He won't good guy. Verse 5. And it came to pass from that time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, that the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph. That's kind of like reminding me that God will bless those who bless Israel and those who curse Israel, God will curse them too. That reminds me of that. You be good to Israel, God's going to be good to you in some right. measure. You hurt Israel, you go against Israel, God's going to go against you. Right. That reminds me of that. And I'll tell you, when our presidents and when our our leaders, they act up and, and um, don't help Israel, and Israel has to stand alone by themselves, uh, and they go, I tell you what, I wouldn't want to do that. Even if I was a non-Christian, I wouldn't want to do that. Well, God blesses the unsaved Egyptian, the unsaved, this pagan, heathen man, and his household for Joseph's sake, because he's there, 
God blesses around him because he's there. That is something good that I want to be. I want to be the kind of man, Christian, that God will bless and those around me get blessed as well. All right, verse number six. And he left all that he had in Joseph's hand and he knew not all he had. That's trust. That's trust. That's complete trust in a slave. Very unusual. And he knew not all he had save the bread which he did eat. I guess he still has a little hesitation about being poisoned. And Joseph was a goodly person and well-favored. I guess that would mean that he's, he's a young man. He's good-looking. He's about 6'2", um, 6'3", got a build. He works out, healthy, energetic. He's a good guy. Kind of well-groomed. Kind of like, like me. <laughs> you folks have no sense of humor. <laughs> Verse 7. And he and came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph and she said, Lie with me. Now, you would expect this to happen. Everything is going fine. God's blessing the household because of Joseph being there. God's blessing on Joseph, just like a stone into a pond, rippled around everybody. Everybody's happy because they're getting blessed too. Maybe they're getting, I don't know. But then, nothing is ever so smooth as you would like it all the time. Murphy's Law, Murphy's Law, if things can go wrong, it will. You, you work on a car, you drop your tooth, it rolls to the middle of the car. Murphy's Law means it's, it's negative. It's a negative way of looking at life, but it's very true. What would you expect to happen when God is blessing Joseph and Potiphar's household so much? You would expect it to go on forever without any problems. Well, here comes problem. What else is new? Verse 8, uh, verse 7. Keep past. His master's wife cast her eye upon Joseph. What does that mean? Well, like Potiphar noticed Joseph, like the other servants noticed Joseph, now his wife has noticed Joseph too. Although her intention is very wicked and very evil. But nonetheless, because he stood out, she noticed him. Trouble's going to come. And as I say, what did you expect? And so she said, lie with me. <laughs> lie with me. Now, maybe she said something else that we don't see in the Bible. But she did say, it is recorded, she said, lie with me. Now, maybe she threw hints before. Maybe she flirted with him. Maybe she walks around and, you know, she just noticed him and he's minding his own business. And she walks by and she says, oh, who is that? I never saw him before. And weeks go by and months go by and she keeps coming around. Well, she never did come around. Now she keeps looking at the servants and, uh, and she eyes him up and she watches him. He reaches up, puts stuff on the shelf. He comes down off the ladder. He bends over to do this, do that, and she he's talking to people, and she says, "Oh, that guy, he's got a vocabulary. Oh, that guy, he's got an intellect. Oh, that guy, he's educated. Oh, that guy's not like any other slave. They're a bunch of dummies. But this guy, he is good looking. He's young. He's handsome, and he has got a vocabulary. And this guy's intelligent, and he's sharp. Who is this guy? Oh, your Majesty, uh, that's Joseph. Joseph. Oh, Joseph. Huh? Hmm." Where do you come from? I don't know, but uh, Master Potiphar says, uh, 
good guy. So that's why he sent us it. Is that right? And she began to eye him up. She began to check him out. And finally, there's a place in the house where she said boldly to him, lie with me. That's pretty, that's pretty in your face. That's pretty brash. That's pretty aggressive. Lie with me. You know, I would think it would come, it would say at, at the water fountain, maybe he, he is serving a, a, a tray of uh, uh, iced tea or Starbucks coffee or whatever it was or some frappuccino or something like that. And she's sitting there and she's very seductive in her dress, you know, and her hair is all made up and everything. And she's got all this makeup on her face. I mean, to the max, she looks like, she looks like, um, well, I can't think of who she looks like. Maybe like a Jezebel. Jezebel painted her face, you know. Now, there's nothing, listen, lady, don't get mad at me. There's nothing wrong with makeup, all right? There's nothing wrong with makeup. It's just that um, you don't want to, you don't want to, um, you don't want to overdo it. <laughs> you don't want to paint the bar too much. By the way, bar do need painting? It does help, but you don't need to overdo it. And so she's there, and however you want to portray that, she just tried to seduce the guy. In fact, she just came out and says, hey, I want you to come to bed with me. You know what Joseph probably did? You talking to me? I'm talking to you, big boy. Oh, no, 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 no. He never thought about that. I don't know if you noticed her not going in and out, uh, in and out on her or skateboard or anything, roller skates or whatever she does, going around and she's you know, flaunting like a peacock. But uh, verse 8, now here's something I want you to know. But he refused. Watch carefully. He refused and said unto his master's wife something. Here's what he said. Behold, my master wotteth not what is with me in the house, and he hath committed all that he hath in my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. Now stop there. The first reason why he said no to her and he refused her. Let me keep reading. Uh, skip that part there and come down to verse number 10. It came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day. Now, there is a problem. Let me keep reading. In the past, as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her, to lie by her, or to be with her. He would not even be in the same room with her behind closed doors. He wouldn't even be with her. He wouldn't even walk with her. Now, perhaps if there were other servants around, he might walk with her and talk with her and so on like that, but he would not put himself in a compromising position where he could be accused of anything wrong. Smart guy. Smart guy. Smart guy. A lot of people get into trouble because they think that they would, that people are, are good like they are. So they have a lunch with this female co-worker or, or whatever it is, and uh, uh, you know he takes them for a ride and so on. And it, it leaves it open for speculation, for guessing, for, hmm. He doesn't do that. Now, if you want to stay out of trouble, stay out of trouble. Don't put yourself in a position where you could be accused of anything. It may not stick because you know you're right, but never put yourself in a position where you could be accused of something that people might believe. All right? So where am I? Verse number eight, he refused. He gave a reason why. Nine, he gave a reason why. And verse number 10, came to pass, she spake to Joseph day by day. She continually propositioned him. Once was bad, but every day, every day, same old thing every day. But it says, verse 10, he hearkened not unto her to lie by her. Now, he refused, he hearkened not. Keep that in mind. Verse 11, 
It came to pass about this time that Joseph went up into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. Verse 12. And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment with her and fled and got him out. Okay, so number one, he refused, didn't, hearken, didn't listen to her, and number three, he ran out of there. Three things took place because of one core thing. Actually, there's two core things that caused him to do this. Number one, he refused. Number two, didn't listen to her. And number three, when she aggressively attacked him, he just took off. He didn't debate with her, didn't reason with her, didn't tell her all the reasons why he should not be there. He just took off. Those are the three things that he did. Now, why did he refuse? Why did he not listen? And why did he just scram? Well, there's a reason why. Number one, because of who he was. Because he was trusted by Potiphar. That's the first reason. He could not let down the one who trusted him. He could not dishonor the man who employed him the man who promoted him, he could not, he could not go against the trust that Potiphar had in him. He had to live up to something that was a very high standard. And there's nothing wrong with that. If you're not spiritual enough to resist, to not listen to, to not watch, to not participate, if you're not strong enough because of spiritual reasons, for practical reasons, there is too much to lose if you participate in that. There's too much to lose. There's too much to lose. There's too much to lose if you participate in pornography. There's too much to lose. The stakes are so high. The loss is so great. Remember that parable that Jesus gave about the house built upon a rock, built upon the sand? And the, the house built upon the sand. Great was the fall of it. Great is the fall of a man when he continually views pornography. Great is his fall. It'll affect not only him, but the whole house will be affected. You cannot imagine the reciprocal effect of sin in a man's life into his wife, into his children, into the grandkids even. You cannot imagine how horrible that, that thread just goes down and down and down. It's a horrible addiction, but he refused. You have to be responsible to not have things accessible to you. Here she was, day by day, day by day, Day by day. This is not a henpecked man. This is a woman who is a seductress. She's an adulteress. She's wicked. She's evil. She's the woman of Proverbs chapter 8. She's like that. And she just is there in the dark at black midnight. And she meets a young man because she's there at the street corner. She's always there. The husband, the good of the house is far away. So she thinks she's there. Uh, she's safe. And she's going to lure and entice the young men and tell, her this, tell them the same thing. Come with me. And let's fill our beds and solace ourselves, solace ourselves with love, uh, because the goodness for he, he makes the boy, the young man, feel at ease. Like he's terrified that the husband's going to come home, uh, and, but he's, she relieves him of his fear, saying, "No, he's gone on a long business trip. It's okay. It's all right. Believe me." And he buys into that. The Bible said he does not know. It's like a dart to his liver. He's like an ox to the slaughter. He got. He got involved. He, he lied to himself. He was deceived. He thought he was safe due to her. She's like that woman. And when a man gets taken in like that, there's sure going to be some bad things happen to him and to other people too that he cares about the most in his life. It's a horrible thing. Uh, I tell you one thing. Who Hefner's hell is going to be a lot hotter than other people's hell. 
publishers of all these other magazines, their hell's gonna be a lot hotter for them than other people. And so he refused. Why did he refuse? Because he had enough character to know he could not let down his master, put so much confidence and trust in him. That is one motivating factor as to why he did not, uh, why he refused, why he didn't hearken, why he ran. He just could not dishonor himself to him. That's one practical thing. The fear of loss should be a good motivation for anybody to not participate in pornography. The fear of exposure, the fear of shame, the fear of being going public about it and, and being handcuffed and being taken away. Oh, so many, not so many, but it seems like so many, even our kind called independent Baptists, some of their behavior actions uh, exposed. There's so much shame and heartache and loss. Churches are destroyed. People are so hurt because the pastor, the youth worker, the bus worker, they participated in something and then they acted it out. It's not something that just happened overnight. There's something that's been going on for a long time that's not been dealt with in the right way. So here is Joseph saying no. He refused, didn't listen, did not linger. He just took off. But there's another reason why, and this is the really greater reason and the really the, the solid reason why it'll help any one of us, anybody who really wants to break free from this addiction called pornography. Now you can say the brain, the dopamine, the chemical reaction, all those kind of things, the rush to the brain, all those things are factors. It's very addictive like any other addiction, but how do you break any other addiction as well? How do you break this kind of addiction? The P addiction. Well, you're gonna to have to have something besides the relationship with your employer. Look at verse number eight. Uh, verse number nine. There's none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. Now watch carefully. How then can I do this great wickedness? Now stop there. He identifies this act that she's trying to get him to commit as something called great wickedness. He didn't, now he could have justified saying, you know, no one's around. He could have said to himself, you know, self, who's gonna know? There's no security cameras in here, hadn't been invented yet. Servants are all gone. I mean, this time the servants are all gone. Before she propositioned me when there's people around, but you know, she's that bold. And uh, oh, by the way, it, porn is very bold too. It's in your face, billboards, print material, Alamana magazine, advertising uh, cologne, advertising dress, whatever it is. There's so much going on, it just promotes more and more and more. And it's gonna lead some young men to want to know more and see more. It's by design. Madison Avenue is not stupid. The love of money is the root of all evil, and there's a lot of money in pornography. Billions of dollars are spent on pornography every year. It is, it is right there. Uh, it's wicked, it's accessible. Used to be print publications. Now it's no longer print publications. Used to be VHS videotape done at the video store, Blockbuster and other places, adult places. And now it's very much more accessible. It is just right there in your fingertips. 
with the push of this finger on certain keyboards or certain 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 things, you can have come up right in front of you, right in front of wherever you are, in a car, at home, on a break at work, right there, on a bus ride home, right there, you can see stuff that you ought not to see as a Christian. But it's so accessible now. It is so aggressive. It is so aggressive, like she's aggressive. Lie with me. It is so aggressive now. It is no longer going to cost you any money except what you pay for your phone service. You can see some right there. It is so accessible. She's day by day approaching him. Now, watch this. Here is how he backed out a bit, how he never got involved. He says in verse number nine, How then can I do this great wickedness? That's what he called it. You got to identify it for what it is. It is sinful wickedness. Also, watch this. And see, no matter who says what about it, no matter if the education people say, oh, you know, let the kids become kids. Let them experiment. Let them do this. We don't, we don't care what they say, what education says. And I will tell you that if your kids go to public schools, you better be careful what they're watching and what they're reading in the libraries and things and what they're being taught. Because, because, with all the kind of ways that they want to tear apart your kids think about themselves with all this stuff that's going on you're going to be sure about one thing they will reduce they will reduce they will shave down your kids morality by presenting them something that's immoral as if it is normal yeah. Yeah. it used to be just you know homosexuality it used to be cross dressing it used to be this stuff you know but now it's even more than that it's making them lose their their wholeness, their morality before the time. And it is horribly insidious and wicked and even devilish. I said that because I mean that. Now watch this. Uh, how then can I do this great wickedness? That's what it is, ladies and gentlemen. And sin against God. Now here is, here is number two. The most important thing to know before you go home. That you can stop. You can not participate in by knowing one thing. You have a relationship with other people. They look up to you. They trust you. You must live up to what they expect of you, and that's right. But number two, you have a relationship with God. Look at that, verse number nine. How then can I do this great wickedness and not sin against my wife or my kids or my fellow church men? No, no. How can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That is the real base of which he said, I, I refuse. I don't listen to. I run from it because... I cannot sin against my God. I have a relationship with God. I cannot break that relationship. I cannot violate that. I must honor my relationship to God. I cannot. <clears throat> you know, a wife, <coughs> a wife loves her husband to death when she believes that her husband is faithful to her. It is true. It is true. No matter what the world says. There was a woman who says, oh yeah, we got married, but we have an open marriage. What does that mean, open marriage? Your head is open and all your brains have fallen out. That's what that's about. We have an open marriage where uh, he was um, not monogamous and I'm not monogamous. And we got married. Why did we get married? And uh, we have these relationships because that's what we live. And it is so exciting. It is so, it is so exciting. It is so, it's not boring to say. You know, that is, that is a mind that has been so lied to and believed lied to by the devil and they believed it they believed the lie they act like they're happy there's a woman who's interviewed and she says oh yeah you know I am um, 
Uh, I don't believe in marriage because I believe in just, um, you know, exploring. You know, that is a, what the Bible calls a fool. A fool. And here is this woman like that, but Joseph doesn't have a mind like that. He's not been corrupted. For some reason, Joseph has in his head, in his mind, in his heart, that God is real to him. Oh, no. Oh, no. That cannot be. Joseph, by his actions and by the test of Scripture, Joseph actually believed that God is real in his life. The Bible does say in this chapter, God is with him. In what sense? Not in the sense of him indwelling him, but in a sense that he is always with them. He is conscious of God. God is working in his life. God is active in his life. For us, literally, we can say, God is with me and he's in me by the Holy Spirit. So if that is true, if your body is a temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, and you're not joined bought with the price, therefore glorify God with your body, which are his. If you really are serious about that, you believe that, that's why he says, how can I do this? You're bringing a sin against God. Because he had a real relationship with God. And if you do as well, just like if you have a real relationship with your wife, you will not cheat on your wife. Your wife will love you to death if she believes that you are faithful to her. But also, if she knows you're faithful to her up here. Here. If you're faithful to her here, you, your wife... She, she knows she's loyal. She, she's totally given to you, but even more so. How can you explain how a wife loves her husband to death because she just has complete trust in him and she has complete faith in him that when she is away from him, when he's alone on a business trip, when he's by himself, he's not out there looking at porn, but he is there and he is right with God. He has a relationship with God. Therefore, I rest in complete peace knowing my husband's okay. She has to believe that his mind his thinking, his eyes in the right place, that he is faithful to her with his eyes. You know what the Bible says in Matthew? If you look on the lust after her, you've committed adultery with her in your heart. You know what that's about? That's about keeping your mind, your heart clean. That's about being faithful to God with this truth. Not just the committal of an act, but by the thought life that you have. I'm going to tell you that pornography is an addiction, and it's hard to break, but you're going to have to do, deal with that in the right place. The most solid way is to have your relationship with God real. Most American Christians, it's just, you know, attack on thing. It's attack on thing. I have membership this, I membership that, membership that. I got membership in God's family. Yeah, huh? so what? But Joseph didn't have that kind of attitude. His attitude was, I belong to God. God is with me. For the Christian in the New Testament, the Bible says in Matthew, I am with you always to the end of the world. The Bible says in the New Testament that he is always with you. The Bible says in the Old Testament and Proverbs that, let me read it to you. The knowledge, the awareness that God knows and he sees. Proverbs 15.3, just listen please. Proverbs 15.3. This is how I think if I were to talk to Joseph, you were to talk to Joseph, interview him and have a TED talk. If he did a TED talk, if Joseph did a TED talk, he would say to you, I refused. I didn't listen to that witch. I listened to that wicked woman because, and I ran when she jumped at me. I ran from her. I mean, I just got out. I didn't deal with her. I didn't reason with. I just took off. He says because I know one thing. 
When he said, I cannot sin against God, here's the verse that I want you to just think about. Where did it go? It's right here in front of me somewhere. All right, Proverbs 15, 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. Are you kidding me? Does that verse mean what it says? The eyes of the Lord are in every place. In every place. Well, if it's in every place, it has to see everything. So it says, beholding the good and the evil. Well, Joseph said to himself, well, if God's eyes are in every place, he beholds the good that I do. So he blesses me for that in the prison, here, wherever. He blesses me because he sees the good that I do. But I also have to say, he also sees the other side, the, the evil that I do. I cannot let God see me participating in evil. I cannot. It's got a relationship with God. Job 34, 22. There is no darkness nor shadow of death where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. Oh, he could have justified himself by saying, well, you know, no one's around. No one can see. It's like darkness. I'm safe from the eyes of others. No one can hold this against me. No. I'm free and clear. But no, I have a relationship with God. He sees the good and the evil. Darkness means nothing to him. The Bible says work for the night is coming where no one can work, but it's not true when it comes to evil. Evil to men, we do evil when we think no one can see, so it's kind of like in that sense dark, but God sees to the dark as if it's broad daylight, it's noontime. And would you do wrong in noontime? Would you do wrong on this platform before people, people that you know? Would you actually do that? Are you that dumb to do something like that in front of people? I don't think you would. If you're hooked on something, you do something secretly. You don't want people to know the sinful things that people can do or you do. You want to hide it. You have shame. You have a consciousness still. And so you do it secretly. God says, okay, you think you're doing something secretly? In the closet? By yourself? Actually, darkness means nothing to God. It's like a 10,000... Lumens flash that shine right on you. And it's being recorded by a camera. And so he has a relationship with God. It's real to him. Also, another verse comes to my mind. The Lord is with Joseph, Genesis 39 2. And because the Lord is with Joseph, and he was conscious of that, he dared not transgress. Now you say, well, that's, that's, that's legalism. Are you crazy? This is basic common. Christian living, where you realize the relative relationship with God and it, it, it restrains you, it constrains you, it keeps you from doing something you know is wrong. People get involved in pornography, they know this is wrong. Their conscience tells them that, their heart tells them that, their guilt tells them that, they tell themselves, oh God, I did it again, I'm sorry, please, oh forgive me, forgive me. And you mean that! But then when the temptation comes around again, no one's around, we're here by ourselves, no one's looking, and you participate again. And you feel guilty again. Oh, God, I promised you last time, last week. Oh, but I, I, oh, please forgive me. I know your grace. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. But please forgive me. And you mean it. But you do it again, and it's a, it's a pattern. How do you break that pattern? Well, I think there are some helps. I think there are some things that can help practically. But it all gets down to your relationship with God. And you need to build that relationship most of all so that you stand on something solid and you can withstand the walls of the devil and the flesh's temptations and so on like that. You Listen, 
For the longest time, I have been harping on you here and there through public services that your growth, your love for God, your relationship to God affects everything. It affects your relationship to your wife, to your spouse, to your kids. It affects your, it, it, it affects your relationship to your employer, fellow employees, to everybody. Everything is affected by your relationship to God. Eventually, if you are right with God, it kind of, it kind of stands to reason that everything filters down from that. If this is not real to you, everything is fair game. You justify everything you do that's wrong. Believe me, you would do everything that's wrong. You justify. You say a lot of things to yourself. You believe a lie to continue doing something that's wrong. All the while, you're feeling rotten on the inside. If you don't have that strong relationship with God, Joseph, look, I look at this story as the key, as the secret weapon, or as the, as the deterrent, as the, okay, stops here. This is what really ends it. it it's not what's going to say, okay, I'm going to divorce if you don't stop. It's not that, though that's a deterrent. But the deterrent is, if you're a Christian, if you're born again, you must have a real, genuine, true relationship, walk with God, for you to overcome these things. Temptations always come. Temptation of the sin. But these things always come. They all teach you day by day, day by day, day by day. You can overcome that. You can withstand it if you have a relationship with God. That's what you got to have. You cannot substitute that with things that are helpful because those simple things do not last. But when you face up to your God and you say, as you get up in the morning, God, you're with me today. Lord, help me today. Do not give in to temptations. And you have scripture on your mind. And you have the presence of God in your life. You're aware of that. That really is a helpful, and that is the deterrent. So do you really believe the Bible? Do you really believe the Bible? If you really believe the Bible, if you believe this account, you believe what the New Testament says, you can overcome this addiction called pornography like you could anything else too. I close by saying a lot of things can be helpful, but the real help that you have is this book right here. Amen. There's no substitute. Hawaii Water Department says the slogan is no substitute for pure water. That's what all the trucks say. I say to you, there's no substitute for a strong relationship with God to overcome this addiction and other addictions. No substitute for that. Things may lead to it, like a funnel, but the real thing is, Joseph said he refused, didn't hearken, he ran because he has something going on here with God. You can have that. As a Christian, you better you better do what the Bible says, really. You better. It's not a or else, but it is an or else. You will not have victory over whatever it is, whatever it is, unless you understand it's a real relationship with God. The Lord is with Joseph. Can you say the Lord is with me? Can you say the Lord is with me? If you haven't been saved, you cannot say the Lord is with me. Intimately. He might be with you generically. He brings rain and sunshine on the just and unjust in that sense. Yeah, he might not protect you, answer some of your generic prayers because God is gracious and love and mercy. Yes, fine, that's true. But do you have an intimate relationship with God? Do you know him personally? That's the first step. Know him as your Lord and Savior. Number two, know him as a Christian by having a walk with him each day. No one can do that for you. Ladies and gentlemen, you must do that for yourself.
you know, I have to close with this. I've gone long today, but I hope it's okay. My wife has been such a help to me in my spiritual walk because I believed, I believe, I believe, and I believe that my wife really wants to have a real strong relationship with Christ. And she shows it by her actions. And as flawed as she is, yes, she is flawed. As imperfect as she is, she has she has prayed for me, she has helped me, she has she has encouraged me. She's sometimes got really mad at me, and she has not <laughs> condemned me though, because she's always tried to encourage me to have a good relationship with God, with Christ. And when I when I stop being stubborn, when I stop being my own man, when I began to realize, you know, my wife is right, even though she's my wife, she's right. You know, sometimes your wife is right. Even though she's my wife and she's telling the truth, which I really don't like to have my wife preach to me. And she doesn't preach to me, but she tells me the truth. And sometimes she's kind of blunt. But when she tells me the truth, and I resist it at first, but then I stop realizing, you know what? You're wrong, she's right. And when I began to conform to the Word of God about certain things, you know, my life really took a turn for the better. No trick, no gimmick, no, no arm twisting. Just realizing, hey, big boy, you are a Christian. The Lord is your Savior. Live like you believe that He is in your life every day. Live like it. Stop talking that way. Stop talking that way. Stop behaving that way. Stop responding that way. Respond in a Christ-like way, you dummy. Stop acting like, well, that's just how I am. No, no, stop acting just as you are. Start acting as you ought to be like Christ. And boy, when that light bulb went off, it was like a thousand lumens. It blinded me. It figuratively knocked me over, made me sit down, because what she was saying was true, and I knew it in my head it was true. I just didn't want to accept it. I was believing a lie. Ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you the truth. It's a good day when you believe what the Bible says. Amen. You believe what God says, it's a good day. Amen. And that's, that's the strength. It's the strength of a man to resist, to break free from this wicked addiction called pornography. Any addiction, bitterness, any bitterness, any anger, any resentment, any reacting in the flesh automatically, that stuff is broken when your relationship with God is getting stronger and stronger and stronger. There's no, there's, there's no gimmick to this. It's just your relationship with God has got to be strong and healthy. And that's it. No trick, no gimmick. Not going to give you a lollipop if you do right. It's got to be real to you. If it's real to you, it'll happen. You don't have to be hooked. The real answer to freedom from this addiction is have a relationship with God. All right? Let's pray. Now, Father, I pray that you'd help us to take the heart, take seriously what the Bible says. Now, look at Joseph. We look at Joseph. We realize what a man of character and integrity, and it's because he had a relationship with you. And we are professing Christians. We need to have a strong relationship with you as well. We need to say to ourselves honestly and believe it, that indeed God is with us. If we're to substitute the name of Joseph, God was with Joseph, we'd have to say, 
we put our names there. God is with, with me, Cam. And we all have to say that to ourselves too. Lord, may that be the priority of our lives. To live to honor, to please you, to glorify you. May everything else be secondary. May we make it a real high priority, if not the highest, as Christians, that you are the center of our lives, you're the top of the pyramid, that you are the one we're seeking to please every day. And Lord, make that real to us. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.